The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 1. October 1921. Four crows circled above the rotted treetops, their wings spread wide like ink blots against the bland sky. Lavinia watched them. A worn leash strained her wrist, and she struggled to hold back her hog. The animal waddled down the dirt path, sniffing at every stick and leaf. The hog was a massive blob of fat and spotted hair, and it weighed nearly as much as Lavinia. But she managed to rein the creature in, while also training her eyes on the sky, on that coven of ravenous birds. Whatever they're trailing, thought Lavinia, it's not dead yet. At last, the hog bore its head into the soil. It was an ugly place, the edge of the swamp, where clumps of healthy evergreens gave way to the dead husks of trees, and an algal stench tainted the crisp air. Lavinia shoved her animal aside and dug. Her bare digits jutted from fingerless gloves, and soon her skin was stained dark brown. They appeared, black globs, clustered beneath a mossy stump. She collected every wrinkled spore, assessed them in the glum light, and stuffed them into a leather satchel. The hog grunted into the dirt. Lavinia stretched her arms above her head, feeling the snaps of her spine. She pulled her headscarf tight over her hair. She turned back to the trail, the day was done, and she faced a long walk back. There was a sound. Boots nearby. Gulps of water around tiny, trekking feet. Lavinia barely heard the stranger in the swamp. She might have walked away. But Lavinia turned. She saw a girl. Stick thin, pale as ice, the girl trudged through the brackish water, hugging herself. She shivered, but it wasn't just cold. Her sunken cheeks, her rolled-back eyes, the telltale signs of hunger. Please, wheezed the girl, save me. Lavinia threw herself at the swamp. Her boots sank into muck. Icy water swallowed her stockings, the hem of her skirt dampened, and she stumbled on the sunken web of roots. The girl rocked on her spindly legs. Through the splashing, Lavinia could hear her labored breaths. The girl quaked. Her knees gave out like a pair of broken matchsticks. She dropped straight down into the mire. Lavinia didn't think. She scooped up the girl, a sopping mass of rags and bones. She held the limp body close. 
The air was bitter against her shins and bosom, their hearts pressed against each other. Lavinia could just feel a faint pulse against her ribs. The whole way back, Lavinia struggled. The girl was skeletal, but she was still twelve years old at least. Lavinia could barely carry the unwieldy load. She didn't know this route well, and her old soles were splitting at the seams. The leash had crept up her elbow, and the hog pulled waywardly. The path stretched on, far longer than she'd expected, and Lavinia panted and heaved. She stopped, crouching to catch her breath. She wondered if it wasn't too late. Should she leave this girl in the bushes, where she could peacefully slip away? Wouldn't the others be furious for bringing this girl, an outsider, another mouth to feed? But one thing Lavinia knew, this girl was one of her own. The olive skin, the ebony hair, the language she had spoken, not German, but their secret tongue, the one known only to Lavinia's kin. She didn't know this girl's face, but they might very well be blood. And there was something else, a horrid thought. But the thought persisted. It nagged her, more than the ache in her shoulders, the strain of her forearms. She wanted to banish this fact, this cruel anxiety. Yet it was there, more urgent than even a family bond. Save me, the girl had begged, not help me. Lost girls ask for help, Lavinia thought. Runaways and orphans seek the aid of strangers, but save me meant danger. Clear, threatening, something deep in the swamp had filled this child with terror. And whatever it was, this girl needed saving. Whatever haunted her, it was still out there, unknown and coming closer. The car thudded over potholes toward the border of Ruritania. The tires juddered. Now and again, a raindrop splattered against the grime-streaked windshield. Sandor was a cavalier driver. His gloved hand rested atop the steering wheel, his other arm thrown over the passenger seat. Despite the grim atmosphere, he looked entirely content. Elizabeth Crown was bundled next to him, arms folded over her lap. She watched the landscape whisk past, the scraggly forest, the veils of mist. Endless trees arched above the ruddy highway, a vaulted ceiling of gnarled branches. Charming place, Elizabeth muttered, watching her breath evaporate over the dashboard. Sandor smiled morosely. It was, once. He shrugged. But it is quite lovely in the summertime. Behind them sat Maud, bundled in a fur coat and crushed between their many suitcases. 
Incredibly, her makeup was still intact. Each cheek was dusted with rouge, and the color burned brightly against the ashen landscape. How are you holding up? Elizabeth called back to her. I, well... Maud hedged. Elizabeth could practically hear her assistant thinking, If you can't say something nice... Not to worry, said Elizabeth brightly. We're almost there. She leaned sideways, bumping elbows with Sandor. We are almost there, aren't we? No, said Sandor. He raised a heavy arm and pointed straight ahead. We are there. A booth emerged from the mist, along with a hinged gate. Three men strode toward them, clothed in drab uniforms and high boots. Two wore pointed helmets, and rifles were slung over their shoulders. The last had a peaked cap and a pistol strapped to his belt. Sandor slowed the car. He stopped before the gate and rolled down the window. The officer leaned toward them. He was middle-aged, with an angular jaw and short, sandy hair. His greeting was brusque. Ira papira bitte. Sandor handed over their passports. The officer straightened and flipped through each, scanning the pages with steely eyes. Und woden geht hier heute? Zum Schloss des Grafen Brutzen, replied Sandor in his effortless German. The officer looked up. He coolly examined the car. You are a friend of the Baron, the officer said. Sandor smiled inscrutably. It was clear that the officer did not approve of their vehicle, a dented Sheridan touring car. Showing up at the chateau of a respected local baron in a model this cheap was like meeting a Rockefeller in overalls. Yet Sandor only scratched at his mustache and reached into the pocket of his leather coat. He drew an envelope made from thick parchment and bound with a wax seal. Sandor said, I am his cousin, actually. Elizabeth didn't understand a word of this until Sandor translated a few minutes later. But when the letter was drawn from its envelope and unfolded, she saw the officer's expression change. He closed the passports and handed them back, along with the letter, which he handled as delicately as his leather gloves would allow. Then he snapped to attention and said, In that case, Count Azust, allow me to escort you to Baron von Brutzen myself. That is quite unnecessary, said Sandor. My lord, rejoined the man in a cryptic tone, I insist. There it is, exclaimed Sandor. Maud was awestruck. She couldn't believe what she saw through the car window. It was a castle, yes, but it looked more like an oil painting, the kind that would hang in a major museum, mounted in a gilt frame. She could almost see the brush strokes of the whitewashed walls, the mullioned windows, held diamonds of stained glass. 
The walls and towers had once been battlements, but the medieval surfaces had softened over the centuries. Glassy ponds appeared on both sides of the car, so the road became a terrestrial bridge cutting through the still waters. The castle and trees were reflected with a photographic sharpness, doubling their grandeur. The hedges and ivy had withered with the season, but Maud could only imagine how gorgeous they would look in spring. Maud had nearly forgotten about the green government car that tailed them, until Sondor pulled their vehicle into a wide cul-de-sac. The policemen parked behind them, and Maud was reminded of their stern presence. In the middle of the brick circle rose a stone monument. Maud expected a fountain or Romanesque statue. Instead, the monument was an obelisk, carved from dark stone, its smooth surfaces etched in hieroglyphs. Maud frowned. The Egyptian artistry looked hopelessly out of place in such a fairy tale setting. Doors swung open, and the six figures stepped out of their respective cars. For a moment, they all stood awkwardly in the heavy autumn air. No one knew what to say. Sandor hadn't invited the convoy, and the border guards were mum. Maud wasn't sure how long they would have to mill around, avoiding eye contact. Then, to her relief, the front doors opened. A man stepped out, dressed in tuxedo and tails. His polished shoes clacked on the paving stones, and when he reached his visitors, he bowed. His receding hair revealed a corrugated forehead. His nose was a patrician prow. Both eyes were tiny, overshadowed by bushy eyebrows. Meine Dame und Herren, said the butler in a pinched voice, Willkommen im Schloss Brutzen. The officer shifted his feet. He looked disappointed that Sandor had spoken the truth about his destination. At last, he offered a half-hearted salute, turned on his heel, and marched back to his car. Before he could slip inside, the butler called after him. You are welcome as well, Herr Schmidt. Schmidt pursed his lips. With respect, he said. Another time. A minute later, the government car receded down the road, lost in a trail of exhaust. The butler grinned, satisfied, as if the officer had done exactly what he'd expected. Then he gestured toward the door. Please, he said. The master of the house awaits. Maud didn't know what to make of the castle. Beyond the first gate, they found a courtyard full of sculptures, but they were cubist figures, vaguely human, welded together from rusted sheets of steel. They were mounted on concrete pedestals, looming eerily over the passing guests. They entered the keep, the original heart of the castle, and Maud found herself in a long hallway. Instead of banners and suits of armor, as she had always expected, 
The walls were decked with chaotic, modernist paintings, cross-hatched pastels, splatters of ink, impressions of hands and feet. The canvases were long and vertical, unframed, hanging nakedly from the stone walls. Now and again, Maud spotted a bust, also fashioned in the raw metallic style of the statues. Sandor leaned toward Maud. He whispered, I apologize for my cousin, in advance. Oh? Maud whispered back. How come? As you shall see, said Sandor, with an impish grin. He is quite bohemian, even for an actual bohemian. The butler pushed open a final pair of doors. Then he proclaimed, in an unexpectedly powerful voice, Count Ezust Sandor and Mrs. Crown and Kapuczynski. Maud had never been announced in such an official way, and her own surname sounded strangely exotic. The words reverberated in the great hall. Maud drank in the regal surroundings, high windows with cloudy glass, furry animal skins stretched out on a stone floor, and a ring of high-backed chairs around a crackling fireplace. But again, the chamber was full of surprises, walls plastered with abstract paintings, a deco-style grill over the hearth, and a grand piano standing to the side. Even the traditional chandelier had been replaced with the sharp triangles of a mobile, which rotated colorfully above them. Sandor! came a cry. From one of the chairs, a man popped up and raced toward the Count. His arms were extended before him, fingers outstretched. He wore a white turtleneck and matching seersuckers. An oversized pea coat was thrown over his shoulders. He threw himself at Sandor, kissing him on both cheeks, and squeezed his cousin's face between his palms. Wie geht's dir, mein Kumpel? he squealed. Was gibt's Neues? It's good to see you too, Rudolf, said Sandor warmly. May I introduce Elizabeth Crown, of course, the Baron exclaimed. He snatched Elizabeth's fingers and kissed them. I am well acquainted with your exploits. The honor is all mine. And who is this? Maud felt herself smile. She usually wilted in the presence of new people, especially in a place so unfamiliar. Yet she had met her share of eccentrics. The Baron reminded Maud of her days in the fashion industry, sharing dressing rooms with fussy little men. So many of the tailors and photographers spoke with the same flamboyance, dressed in the same unexpected outfits. In that instant, Maud felt right at home. Mr. Uh, that is, uh, Mr. Lord Rudolph, sir, she said. I'm Maud, Miss Crown's assistant. Rubbish, exclaimed the Baron. In this place, no one is assistant to anyone. Isn't that right, Milosh? Behind them, the butler chuckled enigmatically. But now, we drink, the Baron proclaimed. Cognac and supper, you must be famished from your travels. Yes, we will eat and we will talk, and I shall tell you everything. 
You've been listening to The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 1. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are written and performed by Robert Eisenberg and produced by Airmail Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. For more information about the exciting world of Uncanology, visit ElizabethCrown.net.